What's up, brother? And welcome to the Becoming Kings podcast. I'm Johnny King, and I'm a life enthusiast, growth mentor, and men's lifestyle fulfillment coach. I've dedicated my life to helping men who feel like they're just not living up to their full potential to level up and become the king of their kingdoms. So whether you've been feeling stuck or numb or extremely angry with not living up to your greatest potential in any area of your life, then I'll be in your ears every week dropping some truly transformative episodes to help you become a man that you're proud to be. I'm glad you're here. Let's get to it. Hey, what's going on? What's going on? It's Johnny King with another episode of the Becoming Kings podcast. I'm stoked to have and the amazing Robert, Rob, Bob, Wonderlich in the uh, Wonderlich. Wonder, okay. <laughs> Wonderlich. Oh my gosh. See, I, I threw myself off by pronouncing all of your extra names. Wonderlich. Wonderlich. Um, yeah, in the house. Yeah, it's German. So most people. Most people don't. Dude, you're not the first, nor are you going to be the last. So it's all good. Yeah. Well, you would think I would have got it since I just asked you 30 seconds ago before we started recording. <laughs> but that's who I am. This is this is the real deal, right? And that's what makes this podcast beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I appreciate you being on. Um, Robert's the uh, the next speaker at my men's meeting, my meeting of men, which is. Uh, as of probably the releasing of this podcast will probably be later on tonight, Monday, 31st of January. And I met you through the amazing Traver Boehm, who has also been on the podcast, amazing human being. So when he, when I asked him like, Hey, do you know any good guys to maybe be on the podcast or speak about men's meetings? You were the first guy. I was like, all right, that's, that's high enough praise for me. So I appreciate you taking some time and, recording this podcast, speaking to the guys, giving away uh, your gifts and, and all the work that you've done. I'm just excited to get into it. So thank you for being here, man. Happy to be here. And I, I feel the same way, you know, uh, honestly, knowing Trevor as I know him and he, I being one of the first people that he reached out to see if I'd be interested, I was like, heck yeah, let's do it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, if you don't mind uh, those that are either watching on YouTube or listening on on the uh the podcast here give a little bit of your background in terms of uh you know anthropology uh archaeology jujitsu men's coaching all the things that uh you've done up until this point that has made you you give the uh the thirty thousand foot view background yeah so um I guess I'll start with archaeology because that's kind of what came first. Um, So got a master's degree from the University of Wyoming, um, worked as a project archaeologist, uh, also known as cultural resource management for almost 20 years. Um, So that included everything from geographic information systems, working with computers to make maps, um, to GPS recordation of archaeological sites with a bunch of artifacts. and analyzing those artifacts. Um, basically, as you know, a project archaeologist in CRM, we did everything from 50 years old and older, and we'd give assessments based off of those things um, to federal government and or private entities who hired us. Um, so mm. yeah, it's been a lot of time walking with the heavy pack on. Um, <laughs> 
you know, I have a joke that I, I always, or a story that I always say, like I go to REI every year and get a, you know, like the most expensive pair of boots. Cause obviously when you walk that much, a good pair of boots is important. And For the sure. salesperson always come up and be like, these are going to last you a lifetime. Like you're never going to have to come back because of the quality of these boots. And I was like, bro, I'm going to see you next year. And he's like, no, no, no. I was like, no, I will. I will see you next year. So anyways, um, <laughs> been doing jujitsu almost as long. So I'm a second degree Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. Um, my instructor, Dave Ruiz, started at the Gracie Academy in 93. Um, learned directly from Horian and Hoyes, also from Elio Gracie, their father. Um, so definitely one of the OGs, was one of the first to be inducted in their instructor's program, uh, received a purple belt under <clears throat> Horian and then moved on to get his black belt from Higa Machado. Um, I started with Dave in 2004, um, jumped into the instructor's program with him in 2006. Once I found out that I was going to the Wyoming to get my master's degree, um, <laughs> there was no jujitsu in Wyoming in 2006. So mm -hmm. I was like, hey, uh, I know what I'm going to have to do. I'm going to have to teach some other people how to do jujitsu so I have somebody to train with. Um, and that's what I did. Uh, and then men's coaching came later, man. Um, I will admit, you know, I think for a lot of us men, we get to a place in our life later. Um, for all the men that are doing the work now in their early, you know, late teens, early 20s, 30s, like, man, I commend you all. Yeah. And for some of us hard-headed folks, it just takes a little <laughs> bit longer to get smacked by life, right. run over by the train, per se, a couple more times. Um, for us to kind of come to realize that, A, we need help, and B, we're not alone in needing help. I think those are two of the primary things that I've learned through the men's work recent, you know, in the last couple of years is just, uh, we're so programmed to think that we're, we don't need anybody else and we're, we're forced to do it on our own. And, um, really that's, there's nothing further from the truth. Yeah. Uh, we need community and we need community specifically with other men. Mm. Um, yeah. I don't know if you don't mind if I just kind of segue into. No, no, completely. <laughs> yeah. I've got questions, but go, go for it. Run with it. Um, but yeah, like just to, since we've talked about how I, and I use the amalgamation of all these things for men's work. I use examples from jujitsu and the way that jujitsu reflects life. And then I use examples of the past and how we lived prehistorically or historically and how that reflects on how we can look into the past to gain a better understanding how to, possibly change the way that we live now and yeah it's uh it's it's interesting to think how in the past we used to as men likely and most you know and ethnographically we have evidence of this we'd go on um logistical forays logistical forays like a hunting trip where the men would be gone away from the main camp for days you know up to two weeks at a time out hunting and procuring resources for the rest of the group so we would have been around campfires we would have been in you know community we would have been telling stories we would have been sharing that experience you know in fact we weren't doing it alone in reality alone would have known that we were at the end if we would have been kicked out of the group, if we would have been ostracized from the group, then we would have known. And that's why it's so innate in us to get that feeling of like anxiety, you know, when 
oh man, do I not belong here? <laughs> Does that make sense? Makes total sense. And, and, and you already started to answer my first question, which was, I think from the outside, guys might be like, okay, how, how are all these things related, you know, and, and not to even assume that they were, but you are who you are today because of, I imagine your fascination with uh, anthropology, archeology, span uh, jujitsu, men's work, like, and I just, I obviously said, I read up on you and, and all that stuff. So I knew there was a lot of what you've taken from your own experience to, to, to weave into the man and the, and the coaching that you, that you do. But I think it's fascinating because I love, man, I love history. I love, uh, I do love not only uh, astrology, but also anthropology. I love the idea. I mean, I grew up with, you know, um, what's his name? Oh, I'm totally blanking. Indiana Jones, which kind of like mm -hmm. got me thinking like, oh, maybe that's what I want to do. Just the idea of being on adventures, you know, and, and uh, discovering things would be pretty cool and to realize how even over the the span of time we're all so much more similar you know in terms of our fundamental primal needs uh than we are different even though technology is so different than it was two thousand years ago we're still fucking human beings you know and we overcomplicate shit now but that was gonna be my question so that makes total sense we're no different we are no we are anatomically no different and we keep on pushing it further and further back um, archaeologically and um, in the sense that human development, anatomically modern humans developed in Africa. Now they're pushing back 250,000 years. Mm. A human that's anatomically modern human that was born 250,000 years ago is no different than a human that's born today. That's crazy. The same capabilities, right? The differences is access to information. Yeah. Right? That they would have been in a small little group that would have stayed and that's why traditions would have lasted so much longer then than they do now now we're seeing things just change at such a, such a rapid pace because we're literally a global entity now yeah and something that i wanted to touch on that you you mentioned about like just difference is there's 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 a concept and an idea that there's more variation within a population than there is between populations mm -hmm. right so if we think about current life in division, that there's more variation within the populations of whatever divide you want to jump on than there is between the two divides, mm. populations on the divide, or, you know, there's more variation on the continent of Africa genetically than there is between the continent of Africa and the continent of Europe mm. or Asia. Mm. And when we think about it in those terms, man, we start to realize like, oh, There, I don't know why I make it such a big deal as some of these things. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. go ahead, go ahead. Oh, but yeah, I think that it's, um, it's truly just bringing those things together and alchemizing those things is where true power can come from. Yeah. You know, I will never forget a conversation. I mean, I know we already spoke to spoke to Traver, but I will never forget a conversation that we had one time. And he's like, man, I love people that have these like just very disparate things in the, that the backgrounds that they come from, you know, like for him, he always talks about like, who would have thought a bodyguard and professional MMA fighter, you know, <laughs> also had a master's degree in Chinese medicine and acupuncture, you know, for myself, who would have known that a person who 
loved anthropology and archaeology would have also been a second degree black belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Totally. Um, but I think that that's when those two things intersect is where there's some magic, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I just chose things in life between men's work, archaeology, and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu that are never ending puzzles. I will never know there is never know everything there is to know ever. Mm -hmm. It's, it's unachievable. To me, that's, that's beauty. Yeah. I always can stay curious. I mm -hmm. always have that ability to find something else to explore another little Avenue to make it just that one extra little bit better mm -hmm. or gain just that extra little piece of knowledge. Completely. I, I uh, feel like I've, you know, watched these shows, whether it be on Gaia TV or YouTube or whatever. And I, and I do get fascinated about uh, anthropology from the standpoint that they keep, I feel like, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm sure you know so much better than I would, but I, keep, I feel like they keep finding new fossils or new skeletal remains that then push our existence as human beings even further back than they originally thought, Right. Um, or they find different types of, or, or different, you know, you have the Neanderthals, uh, and then you have, you know, more like a normal species like we do. And, and just the, the, I don't know, I get fascinated by the whole explanation of how we have evolved as human beings, you know, and, and where we tracked uh, up and over the ice bridge into the Americas and how much, uh I don't know. It just, it, it, I think it gives me the, uh, the level of humility to be like, damn, <laughs> like we are just such a, our lives are such a little blip, uh, on the, on the span of time, you know, and yet we can do remarkable things with that life. Um, and, but we gotta be pretty blessed to not have to worry about, you know, coming up with fire or the wheel, you know, <laughs> And that we, we can live uh, in a time as abundant as it is now, but then it comes back around full circle to then why are we as men not happier than we are, right? When we've got so much fucking abundance and yet we're so judgmental and, and uh, unhappy, unfulfilled. And so I think sometimes when you look at, that's why I get fascinated by watching some of these things, which is why I'm so grateful to have this conversation with you. It's because like, let's get back to the basics. Like, what was it? It was sitting around campfires, looking, looking out for each other's backs, having guide time, providing for a community. It's like, what were we doing back thousands building, of years ago? Yeah. Building things. Like we were crushing shit. Like truly like right. we were defending the home. We were, we had purpose. Right. Let me ask you a question, Johnny. So you're, we're, we're going to take an example of just a hunter-gatherer society. So they, they would have been semi-nomadic or nomadic, you know, like constantly on the move or, you know, they would have at least base camps that they may use and then move around the landscape and move those base camps and then go for those logistical forays, kind of like I mentioned earlier, right? Mm -hmm. How many hours do you think they would have worked in a given week on worked, average? Worked. Um, worked. So that includes hunting or gathering or building something, hmm. you know, anything along those lines. Hmm. 
it's, it's, I kind of feel like it's it's on either end of the spectrum. It's either they were working a shit ton, or my thought is that they weren't at all, and they were kind of more like lions, <laughs> and they they actually sat around and just were present to the moment and to raising their children so much more than we are today. That would be my final answer. The more the latter. Yeah, and through ethnographic analysis, so that was a anthropologist observing these folks moving around the landscape and taking notes and observe, you know, like as they were doing their thing. About 12 hours. Wow. Yeah. Now that doesn't, that doesn't take away from the many hours that like if they went and hunted a giraffe and took down a giraffe and the processing time and yeah, they had, they had times where they had to really work and move. Yeah. Yeah. And then they had a lot of downtime. Think about the level of connection that you would have within your group of 20 to 25 people to where you spent only 12 hours doing the things that you needed to survive. Yeah. Hmm. Well, think what about was the... the trust that you would have had between you and those other individuals that when it, when it got hard, that you know that those people had to have your back because the, the community wouldn't have survived. So also understanding the care that it would have taken, that you would have taken into the children and on the paradox of that, understanding that you needed to have a lot of children because, I mean, thousands of years ago, life expectancy was low, about 35 to 38 years old, you know? Um, But that wasn't a function of people not getting old. That was a function of how many Unfortunately, women died giving birth and, you know, the baby died or just how many young children died, you know, in a, there was just a lot of them. Mm. So you answered, you answered oh, the question ahead. for me of, of how, how long were people living, you know, which I think if you know that, that also creates a greater level of urgency. I think sometimes in our day-to-day life, I feel like we think we have all the time in the world you know, no sense of urgency. Uh, and then before you know it, start to hit, you know, my forties, maybe you feel the same way, you know, men in general, then you start to realize, oh shit, life is actually seeming to go by faster and faster. And are we actually having the quality of the connections and the, the, the present moments where are we letting those go away? Because we are working so hard, which comes around full circle to what you were talking about. So you only live 35, 38 years people are dying, you know, routinely from normal things, right? They don't have modern medicine. Uh, you, you would think that only working 12 hours a week, you'd be really, really tight with those that were fortunate enough, fortunate enough to, to lo- live to an older age, to be an elder, you know? And think about that alone. Think about eldership yeah. in those communities what kind of knowledge they sought from those elders and what kind of knowledge those elders therefore pass on. Mm -hmm. Because if we don't have written language, how do we as a community stay within that same cultural frame? Mm -hmm. It's all done through story. It's all done through oral tradition. Hey, this is how we do this. And this is why we do it this way Mm -hmm. to take the care. And then, you know, like, what do we do with our elders now, man? Do we have elders? Yeah. I would say we have very few. Mm -hmm. 
that want to take the role of actually being within themselves to share knowledge and not being so distracted about and by the fact that they're passing away or distracted by all of the things that they've never healed through time, right? I think that there's very few elders out there. One of them to me is Dewey Freeman. I mean, he's my, he's one of my elders, man. Like that dude is brilliant. I don't know if you're familiar with Dewey or not, but um, he's one of, yeah. yeah, he's amazing. Um, Stephen Jenkinson is someone who comes to mind. I mean, he just wrote a book on elder, on being an elder. Um, I've listened to several of his podcasts and just like mind blown. Um, but yeah, I don't. Uh, Mark Sylvester is another one that comes to mind. But like, again, I'm not. How many billions of people do we have on this planet? Mm-hmm. And it, I'm, I'm racking my brain to come up with more than three. Right. But I have currently in my life as a 41 year old man. Mm-hmm. And now we're coming to the point like, Johnny, how old are you? 42. 42. Okay. So we're right next, we're right, right next to each other. Now we're coming to the point where we're becoming elders mm-hmm. also. To acknowledge and appreciate the importance in culture and society of wanting to attain that i mean i excuse me just posted something recently on social media that was like man so many men who come from a place of insecurity and woundedness focus their lives on wanting to to be significant right and they hide behind masks of you know hey am i validated as being enough versus those who really do the work who kind of the older you get the more you don't really give a shit about validation from the standpoint of like outside validation you just know your own worth you're there for your loved ones you know you are there's just a different energy and i and i've experienced some of that in the men's work that i've just kind of been doing over the last couple of years traver's part he's certainly on his way just where they have such a sense of like depth and wisdom like they're a sage you know you're like oh man yes like i just want to be around you more because i there's so much wisdom there i don't need more information because there's plenty of that online. <laughs> what I really need is what are we doing with is it? Is that guidance? Yeah, exactly. You know, like we have the greatest access to information, yet none of us know anything. Yeah. Because yeah. we supplement that with one of these little devices, mm-hmm. right? That we carry around in our pocket. Oh, mm-hmm. what's how many gallons are in this? Or uh, what's what's the definition of that? Or yep. you know, like it's just in and out, and we never hold on to anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I've talked, actually, I had a conversation with Dewey about this the other day, um, about how I feel that that turn of the turn to the 20th century, from the late 1800s to the early 1920s, 1930s, is where we just saw the perfect intersect of access to information, but still lacking too much distraction Hmm. because that's what really these are right this cell phone is just a massive distractor totally right sure i can find anything on there but then the next thing i know i'm getting 25 notifications or i go to another site and like now i got 50 ads like oh drawing my attention to go to whatever you know like 
I just purchased a new camera and now every ad is about camera stuff. And I'm like, ah. And back then, folks like Joseph Campbell, you know, um, Franz uh, Boaz, who's known as the father of American anthropology, you know, and archaeology. Um, <clears throat> who else? Uh, Jung, Carl Jung, mm-hmm. Nietzsche. Like Nietzsche, all, all these guys are all at that same time. And why? You know, like some of the greatest, some of the best anthropologists, not best, but just some of the greatest thought that transformed anthropology came out of that period too. It's because people had access to travel the world and gain information from different cultures and ideas. And then the ideas began to flow. But if you read Joseph Campbell, he speaks about how all he did was sit in a cabin and read and read and read. And I just don't know if that could happen today. Mm. You know, they got to a level of mastery. Like you hear about the anthropologists at the turn of the century, they knew seven languages, you know, like, (laughs) and they just wrote these giant synopsis, you know, on things. It's just a, it's just a different world now. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. It's interesting. And I, and I do feel like, you know, especially with the way that the world is right now and, and, you know, it's easy to kind of go down that worst case scenario, you know, doomsday thought, but, but I have kind of played that out with come my, come my buddies. I'm like, dude, let's say shit hits the fan, you know, and we're without power or without (laughs) the internet or like, do any of us know how to hunt, how to like fend for ourselves? Like we would be screwed, you know? if you know doomsday stuff happens but like there is there is to my point being like we have ventured so off so far away from who we were you know when we could fend for ourselves you know and granted our our quality of life has improved dramatically which is why we live to 70 80 90 100 plus years and it will continue to but like at what expense or or risk i should say to where we're dependent upon, like you said, these little computers that we have in our pockets, right? Um, and do we move more and more towards being computers ourselves, robots, you know, and losing our humanness, you know? It's a scary thing, kind of. And how long has that been happening? Yeah. I mean, dude, do you remember, when did the first iPhone come out? I don't remember. I think it was 2000. Eight, nine, two thousand eight, something like that. Yeah, something like that. And just think about where we are now. Yeah, what we actually carry around in our pocket currently, yeah. compared to just that. Yeah, and it's just accelerating. It's continuing to sell, accelerate. Think about a hundred and fifty years ago. What would have been like here in Colorado one hundred and fifty years ago? Which is really not that. What kind of lifestyle would we have been living 150 years ago? That is that is a blink. That isn't even a blink in the eye, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like the Egyptian civilization lasted about 3,000 years. You know, and it's funny to me. We have these arguments currently where we just feel so superior to those who lived in the past. You know, like, I know how to drive a car. Oh, man, I can write some code on a computer. And 
I've got all these great, all the great access to things, right? But then that forces us into this box of like having, so I have this saying now that like, one of the things that I feel that we have to be really cautious of is that we do what's called the Amazon Prime membership of the work, mm-hmm. right? Like the inner work or jujitsu or everybody wants the Amazon Prime package that shows up on their damn front porch and it's over and it's done. And like, I can be satisfied and move on. And now I have all the tools instead of thinking about it as like, man, what does it take to master something? What is the process of mastery? How do we take steps forward to actually master something? To make it to where it's ours and we own it and no one else can take that from us. Mm -hmm. Not just be some fleeting little like dopamine release. To get some satisfaction from life, man. I love that. And, and, and in that transition for you, I'm kind of curious to, to hear that of how you went from, you know, anthropology, archaeology to jujitsu, <coughs> excuse me, how you bridge that gap, but then really focusing on like, uh, what was that moment where you're like, oh, you know what, I, I want to, to achieve a level of mastery in Brazilian jujitsu. And what were maybe some of the deeper lessons that you learned through and what you continue to do to this day in terms of paying it forward to teaching, teaching other people? Yeah, definitely. So <clears throat> started, like I said, I started jujitsu in 2004. Um, I kind of knew early that I wanted to become a black belt and I actually set a pretty crazy goal for myself. Um, to attain a black belt by the time I was 32, which would have been eight years. Um, (laughs) Which thinking back on it now was, you know, um, I did it. I made it. I actually got my black belt in eight years. Um, But I also trained like 13 to 14 times a week. I went to like every single class possible. Um, Because that was my shortcut in quotations, but there is no shortcut. I just trained more often than maybe others did that it took 12 to 14 years to get a black belt. I just condensed the time. So really the way to me, to for me to mastery is something that I speak to and I'm planning on speaking to, I will guess tonight, we'll, we'll just say tonight, um, is perseverance and repetition. So perseverance and repetition, right, are the two keys that I always tell my students, you know, like I joke around with them like, oh, you guys want to hack to jujitsu? You want a shortcut? I'll tell you a shortcut. Um, It's perseverance and repetition. Meaning there is no shortcut. Meaning there is not a lack of work. There's not a lack of a process. You have to do the process in order to do it, like to actually get better at it. Mm -hmm. So perseverance is that voice in the back of your head. When you go home from work, you've had a long day. You don't feel like going to the academy. You don't feel like working out. You don't feel like having a hard conversation with your partner, whatever it may be. The couch is calling your name. 
Netflix is screaming for you to consume, like, come on, buddy. Like, and instead you pick up your gym bag, you go meet your personal trainer, you go to the academy, you go sit down and actually leave the TV off and have a true connection with your partner, discuss something. And that way you naturally get a rep, don't you? Perseverance leads to the rep. It leads to the repetition. Because if you go to the academy, I'm teaching or someone else is teaching there and you're going to get reps. You're going to get reps. You're going to get better that day. So to me, perseverance builds intent. Or another frame of perseverance is intent. It's the intent to do something. And as we get more reps, we build more intent. Hey, man, I'm going to go to. So for me, my intent is to daily do the work, my inner work. And even when I have a shitty day, at the end of that day, I can come and reflect on the day and realize like, oh, man, I had a shitty day today. I failed today. Now, this is the important part, that we bring grace and compassion in. And that we understand like, oh, yeah, I, I am just like everyone else. I'm a flawed human being. I make mistakes. Hey, I'm going to have some compassion for myself in this moment. I'm going to give myself some love because at least today I woke up with an intent. And at the end of the day, I reflected on the day and I knew that I failed. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. And that right there is the juice. That's that 1%. By just being conscious of it, you got 1% better that day. Now I know, I know, like gaining daily 1% does not ever feel like in a human being that we're doing anything. But maybe start instituting questions like, well, where was I six months ago? How would have I reacted in this moment six months ago? What would have I done a year ago. Yeah. This is how I tell jujitsu students to really gain a perspective of how they are advancing in jujitsu. We can't compare ourselves to yesterday, but we sure can compare ourselves. Could you whoop your own ass from two months ago? The mm-hmm. if two months, two month ago version of you walked into the academy. Could you whoop you? Could you beat them? If you say yes, man, you're, you're getting really, you're gaining Mm. and you're gaining a lot in a short amount of time. Mm. Right. So when we put it in that perspective and those 1% little gains, because really another thing that we got to understand is just the way our brains work. Our brains function through pattern. Another word for repetition, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? We gotta, we gotta get to a level of saturation. You know, our subconscious is constantly working 24, seven, 365, you know, like we're 5% of our brain is the conscious brain, right? 95% is subconscious and our subconscious is constantly always taking in information and it's sitting there and it's running and it's running and it's running and it's processing. It's like the, um, it's like the solid state hard drive on your computer. It stores all the information, every face you've ever seen, every word you've ever heard, every, everything. 
and it sits there and maybe you learned something two months ago that you're like, ah, and then you continue to learn some things. And it, over the course of two months, your, your subconscious has been like processing. Hey man, now it's got these two large pieces of the puzzle. And it's, oh, no, uh-uh, right? It's just not fitting right. And then all of a sudden it clicks. And I know everyone's gonna know what I'm talking about in this moment. That's when you get that, oh, it's that aha moment, that light bulb. You hit a level of saturation where you're just like, holy shit, that's it, that's it. And then you're forever changed after that moment because now you have that piece that you always will remember. The, the question I had is what kind of maybe you were talking about uh, a few minutes ago in terms of intent. That all makes total sense to me, and I couldn't agree with you more. And I do feel like uh, some of my buddies who have never they, they've started to work out in the gym, and you know they wanted to get a little bit stronger, put on some muscle, uh, but they didn't keep with it consistently. You know, ask me like, how did you how do you you know build your biceps? How do you build your chest? I'd be like, dude, there hasn't. It's, it's the fact that I've been working out for fifty years consistently just repetition so i get that right yeah but what really underneath that is what drives me to be consistent what drove you to have the intent of like you know what eight years i want to get my black belt because i feel like that's a big part of what drives the repetition and the perseverance is having something even deeper that when the shit gets really really tough you push through that where most people would be like you know, I don't, why am I even doing this anyways? And they give up on their dreams or they give up on something that they would feel so proud about if they just kept at it. And then they beat themselves up because they look back in hindsight, like, where could I have been had I kept that habit up, right? Or kept working towards that, working in that relationship or kept working in that job. What was it for you when it comes to, to taking on like, that made you think, you know what, this is really important to me that I'm going to push for this by 32? Because that's not a normal thing i mean maybe people think that but they actually don't follow through with it you follow through with it you now have an academy because you're a badass in that sense but what was the difference maker for you in that moment when you're in your 20s to set that goal and to really what drove you through those tough times when you probably wanted to quit i had a period of time where i i, I was forced off the mat man i i had to be off the mat but i before i get there i really want to answer your question and it's a great question. I think part of it's passion. Part of it was just a passion, you know, like just taking in information, learning. I love to learn. I love to explore. I love to have, you know, to be curious about something. But what, lo what sits below that is just an understanding that I'm not going to be good at it. And understanding that I'm not going to be good, like that I'm going to fail and just making the decision to just take the next step. And that's where I said, like, with intent on the backside of that has to come grace and compassion for when you do fail. There you go. Mm -hmm. When you do, you do fall down, but you just got to make the decision. To, okay, I'm going to take the next baby step back up. And then I'm going to take the next baby step back up. And truly, it's that. Because the other thing I want to say here is what frame are we looking at it in? Mm -hmm. We can see everything that it's going to take to get there. 
and I can look down the road and what am I going to see if I'm in my little box and I'm like, man, it's going to take eight years to get a black belt. How much is that? Like, dude, how many reps is that going to be? Eight years of my life. Like that's a huge dedication. And oh my gosh, like when I look at it, that frame and I think of it that long down the road, man, that's Mount Everest, isn't it? In the work, when we're in our shit and we are comfortable in our shit, we want it, right? Like, oh man, I know I got to make some changes. Guilty, <laughs> right? 100% guilty. Um, yeah. Been in my shit and been like, man, I know I need to make some change. Um, I know that there's things that I really need to do now. And then, but it'd always be the but. Here comes the but. But man, all the pain and anguish and hardship and work that I'm going to have to do to get out of here. And then it just cycles me right back into my own comfort, right back into my own shit. But once we take that first step, and then we take the next step, and then we take the next step, and we continue and we relate that back to that 1%. Dude, these aren't, we don't have to take leaps. If we are in motion, we are doing excellent. And even if we have to pause, even if we have to pause and say, hey, I just need to, I just need to see what's happening right now. I really avoid the statement, take a step back and observe, because I don't believe in taking steps back. I believe in pausing. Mm -hmm. Hey, man, I need to sit here for just a second and like get present and understand what's happening around me. What is happening? What is here? Hey, I need to maybe spend a week just what's going on? Checking in. But after that, again, little microscopic steps. Mm -hmm. Because then when we put it like that, man, we can get somewhere, right? We may not get there fast, but what's my expectation? Because if we think about the 1% in that way, we really start to kill our expectation, don't we? Man, if I asked you, Johnny, can you get 1% better tomorrow? What would you say to me? 100%. Hell yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. I can get yeah. 1% better tomorrow. Definitely. For sure. For sure. Okay, so if that's my only expectation, ooh, now does that, does that preclude us from having giant leaps? Does that preclude us from having these giant gains? No, because I mentioned that earlier. That's that aha moment, something that shifts, something that brings you someplace else. It's like, oh, oh this is awesome, right? Mm -hmm. And we become, and truly, that's the other thing that I would say got me through, has gotten me through 17 years of jiu-jitsu, is those ahas. And just realizing to have the patience for when those ahas come and realizing like the gold that those things are but then taking the 30,000 foot view and just having such a great appreciation for the tiniest things, for the tiniest advancements, for the tiniest of changes, mm -hmm. right? I love to use a quote from my professor, um, Dave, that he said that has always rocked and changed. Like if I'm having a hard day and I'm like just stuck in a frame where I'm like, man, Shit's just rough. Things are sucking. And then I just think about a kaleidoscope. Because <laughs> Dave said, one small shift in a kaleidoscope changes all views. Hmm. 
We're not talking a large shift, We're talking a little one degree change in a kaleidoscope. It like it's not the same picture anymore. Man. Mm -hmm. I love that. I do too. That's why I, like I have to, it's one of those I have to put out there because I mean, it's, uh, it's such a great way. So in the work, what story are we telling ourselves? What expectations are we creating of where we should be? I mean, I know that I don't like to get shitted on and I've definitely learned that I don't like to shit all over myself, mm -hmm. right? Or I'm learning, I'm recovering from shitting all over myself. Right. So, and when we say it like that, we laugh, right? Well, you wouldn't like when someone shit all over you and definitely shouldn't shit all over yourself. Mm -hmm. But how many times do we say that in a sentence in a given day? Maybe not externally, but how many times do we say that up, you know, in our head? True. Does that, does that answer that question? Totally does. Yeah. hundred percent. It does. And, and I think, uh, I think that's the, one of the underlying questions that I initially started asking myself when I was getting into just personal growth in general in my late twenties, when life was crumbling around me a little bit, um, my expectations of how I thought my life should go. But, uh, now it's one of those things where I think, and you hit the nail on the head, there's, there's, um, grace and compassion, you know, for when you flub up or when things get tough and you have tough days. I think a lot of us, um, and maybe that comes with um, the culture of social media. I'm sure there's so many things where we, we look and we think that we should be all having, every day should be a great day. Cause at least on, on social media, everyone that we see is having a great day. Right. Um, and yet we all kind of inherently know too, that that's not total reality. Um, but it's no, not at all. Yeah. It's, it's hard for us. So I don't know if you're familiar, like, I'm sure you've heard of Brene Brown. Everybody's heard of Brene Brown, yeah. but sure. um, her new book, Atlas of the heart. Mm. Amazing. Highly, highly recommend it cool. because um, she describes a little survey that she did where she asked over the course of three years, she asked 7,000 people like, how they were feeling and she got three answers <laughs> angry sad and happy <laughs> how much does that show about the emotional intelligence of us as a people yeah right to not have like <laughs> grief like she has so and i actually have it right here in front of me but just vulnerability like she has like 62 some emotions that she describes in here right you know, like to go to some depth and she speaks to paradox in here and speaking of vulnerability, like we want others to experience our vulnerability or, I mean, we want to experience other people's vulnerability, right? We want others and we expect others to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. But I'm the last one who wants to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be vulnerable to anybody else. Like, no, you got to go first. I can't, I can't be vulnerable. So just understanding like that, that, that paradox needs to exist in life, that we need to see things and hold things with the yes and instead of the or, right? And I'm speaking, I'm summarizing some, some of the things that she speaks to in the book and some others that she quotes in there. 
but there's genius in the yes and. The yes and is paradox. And brother, I'm telling you that I just came to this recently. Like this is something that took me 41 years and I've been talking about paradox and jujitsu forever, mm. right? Because really one of the greatest ways to learn jujitsu is through paradox because what you want to do to some, what someone wants to do to you is exactly how you make sure that it doesn't happen to you, mm -hmm. right? Those things are happening at the same time at all times, mm. right? So, but to think of, you know, and it wasn't until Traver and I started working together that he was like, yes, and, and I don't know how many times he said that to me. <laughs> through our time and I was like oh yeah it is it's the yes and mm -hmm. and to really avoid binaries to really avoid dichotomies you know to where it's just the it's over here or it's over there like there's so much fun in the gray man. Mm. right like in jujitsu and I'm going to use a lot of jujitsu references because obviously that's what I do for a living. But sure. um, and I'll put it simply to where anybody that doesn't do jujitsu, I mean, you yourself, I don't know if you've ever trained before or not, but or had any interest in it. I'm sure you've seen a couple of UFC fights in your day. Totally. So person on top, what does that person on top want to do space-wise? Do they want to create a bunch of space or do they want to take away a bunch of space or all the space, I should say? They want to create a lot of space so they can... Person on top. Hammer. Person on top? Mm. Yeah, I would, person on top. I to would control. Think to control, you would want to... to well, I, I, that's a good question. I would think that they want to create spaces that they can hammer down on someone. And I feel like the person on the bottom typically wants to get as close as they can to minimize the damage. But maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I, you're actually on to something really good. So from here, like... There's a saying that on top, you want to take away space so that someone can't escape. And then on bottom, you want to create space so you can escape. Uh, and yet what you just described is also true. Huh. Paradox. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that at the same time, I may be trying to, that I may be working to take away space on certain parts of your body. There's other parts of my body that are also creating space. Right. It's like yin and yang. It's always a flow that goes between the two. It's never just all, it's very rarely, I should say, all one way and or the other. Right. Hmm. It's mostly sliding scale of going in between. Which is the gray. Which is the gray, which is nuance, which is, you know, like I love nuance. Jiu-jitsu is in the minutia. It's in the little things. It's not in the in the giant movements that you see. Life is in the minutia. I was thinking, as you're saying that, I was thinking, you know, I was raised very religiously to where things were light or dark. It was black or white. It was right or wrong. And and there's a lot with that. Came a lot of shame. And and I found as I've gotten older that. Um, it can be a slippery slope at times. I, I understand that too. And I understand kind of where my parents were coming from in terms of my raising, but I kind of like to your point, the, the beauty and the, the fun of life is in the nuance as if, as if there was only white or, or light or the absence of light, but like light, 
consists of every color of the spectrum, which is what makes living life in color beautiful, you know? And ones that we can't even see as human beings. Yeah. You know, like, and that's the whole other thing is there's things beyond our understanding, Mm. you know, or what we can observe and just understanding that there's even more and there's even greater depth, you know? And I think that's so true. Like when we get stuck to kind of go back full circle of how do you continue to do something? And I think that you could ask your question, this question, and this is something that I took from Traver, but, or I borrowed from Traver, I should say, is that I don't want to know something an inch deep and a mile wide. I want to know something an inch wide and a mile deep. Hmm. Or like the Bruce Lee quote, I don't fear the man who knows 10,000 kicks. I fear the man who's done one kick 10,000 times. Hmm. It's the same expression just said in a different way. Hmm. So what do you actually want? And we have to be honest with ourselves what we actually want. Do you actually want to be successful or, hey, ooh, that's a, that's a juicy one. Do you fear success? Mm-hmm. Because how many people will say they feel f- fear failure? Lots. And how many people may not admit that they actually fear success? Mm-hmm. I'm one of them. <clears throat> Man. But holy cow, now all this other stuff's going to come from that. And I'm going to be seen and I'm going to have to be vulnerable. And, <laughs> you know, and oh, that's awesome and amazing. And it, it challenges me and we're, you know, we can, it puts us in a place that we can push the envelope and we can have true growth. Hmm. We think so linearly in our culture. I mean, even the ranking system in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, you know, is very linear. You go to white belt, you go to blue belt, you get your purple belt, you get a brown belt, you get a black belt right? And it's very linear. But is that how any of us learn? No. To me, it's more like the Fibonacci sequence. If you're familiar with the Fibonacci sequence, right? It's the ever expanding spiral. Yep. One plus one equals two, one plus two equals three, five, eight, right? On down the way. And mathematically that forms a spiral that forever expands. And the cool thing is, is that there's pieces of us that we've learned, right? That are still at one plus one. Mm-hmm. And then there's other pieces and areas that we've learned that we're at, we're way down the line, mm-hmm. right? So I've seen blue belts in jujitsu have black belt level technique in one technique. The rest of their game's a blue belt. In fact, some of their game's still white belt, mm-hmm. right? Or another way I like to frame it is So as a white belt, when you come in, you have one acre of land that you get to till and you get to plow and that you get to begin your plant, your seeds. And you've been at jujitsu for maybe three months. You have some, maybe you have two, three plants that are seedling, you know, you like, you can see just the seedling popping out. Right. And then other areas that still aren't tilled yet because you still don't know what you don't know. Right. And then as a black belt, maybe you have a hundred acres and you have some crops that are fully developed, right? And then there's still other areas that you haven't even tilled yet. Mm. There's still other areas that haven't been plowed, that haven't been weeded, that haven't, you haven't, 
or you haven't brought any, you haven't put any attention into those seeds and they're not growing because they're not watering them. And to me, that's what reflects true mastery. It's the knowledge and knowing that you know nothing. <laughs> that you truly don't know, the more you know, the less you, you, can, you admit that you do know. Mm -hmm. Oh man, I, holy cow, I learned something tiny today and I had no idea that it even existed. I can't call myself an expert. Am I someone who's done a lot of jujitsu? Yeah. Can I share that information? I have full confidence. 100%. How did I get there? <laughs> One day after the other. Mm. But what gets you to a, a place of, of true danger and i and i mean that in the way of like of being let's say a black belt second degree black belt is that you have the capacity to maintain that status you have the capacity of of being able to till a hundred acres and to keep it all thriving you know and certainly there are certain acres that like you said are the crops are higher than others but you're you're watering all of it right and that is mastery and that's no different than a fucking amazing relationship or your health or a business or fulfillment as a man and for a lot of us starting off in the men's work is like you're just all of a sudden you realize you have one acre that you haven't been watering you know and you're like oh shit i need to start planting there but then you realize you haven't bought the plow yet <laughs> yeah right and it can be overwhelming i don't have any tools to even break ground yeah yeah right like right. I definitely know what that was like. Like, oh, shit. I, I have a nice, I'm a nice guy. I'm a recovering nice guy. Okay. I had to, I had to kill some parts of that person and bury him in the backyard. Yeah. Right. And, um, but that's just it though, is there's large portions of that land now that are on an automatic watering system and that's my subconscious because what i've done is through repetition is i've taken something right and so are you familiar with the stages of competence uh yes four stages right yep four stages so unconscious, unconscious. incompetence yep right so i don't know what i don't know mm -hmm. and then there's conscious incompetence now dude people People just skip over this one, but this is actually the most important. Yeah. I agree. Now you took something from the world of unknown, total unknown, didn't know anything to now the known, now the known, you know, that it exists in the world. That's unplugging from and, the matrix. Yeah. And you know that you don't know anything about it. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Which is beautiful. Right. So many people get hung up on that one. Mm -hmm. Man, look at everything that I don't know now. Yeah. Uh, dude instead being like man what don't i know when when did i when where did this come from mm. right i'm someone who really likes to avoid why questions in the sense of open-ended whys right whys do really well in binary right or a yes 
or why this and not that or that or not this or there or not here. Great. You can get somewhere. You can stay curious in that way. But just think about every time that we've asked ourselves, I mean, why do I suck at this? And you like shoulders drop and body language changes. And yeah. It's just self-deprecation, man. It's like right. we're just beating ourselves up. It's the beginning of the inner critic just crushing us, right? Right, right. But when we shift those two wins, where, how, right? How's a big one? What's a huge one? What is it? How does this work? I mean, how, how much have I changed just in my body language and my tone, projection, everything, and just asking those kinds of questions? Because now I've gone from looking through the fat end of the tunnel and seeing only the skinny end and being like, man, this world sucks, <laughs> to now looking from, right, to now holding that skinny end against my eye and seeing all the possibilities through the fat end. Mm. Now I can continue to have curiosity. So that's why that one's so important, moving from unconscious incompetence to conscious incompetence, because now at least I know that I don't know it. Mm -hmm. Now, through a lot of repetition is when we can bring it to conscious competence. Hey, I know it exists in the world, and I know that I know something about it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's, that's those crops that are, you know, there's still things that I'm working on, tweaking on, but they're growing. And those crops that I don't, the crops that I can actually sow, the things that I can walk up and pull an ear of corn off of a stalk, right, are actually the things that lie in un, unconscious confidence. Mm. Right? To where now I don't, I don't have to think about it. I always use a weird reference, but it really works for people. So it's like when you take a shower in the morning, like Johnny, I'll ask you, I'm, I'm assuming you took a shower today. I'll ask that question first or <laughs> make that statement first. Yeah, yeah. But when you hopped in the shower, did you think about showering? No. Okay. Like, were you like, hey, I'm going to take the soap bar in my right hand and then I'm going to start on my left hand and you're conscious through the whole process. Like, no. What did you think about? Well, that's why I keep a pad of paper in there because that's usually where I get the best idea because I'm not thinking about showering at all. That's the last thing I'm thinking about. Beautiful, yeah. right? But you still showered. Totally. You still that's got fine. clean. Yep. Right? Yep. Hey, and sometimes we get so enthralled that like maybe we forgot to shampoo our hair and we got to turn the shower <laughs> back on. Yeah. Like actually do it, right? Yeah, yeah. Or you get out of the shower and you forget you forgot to take the shampoo out of your hair. I do that. <laughs> that too. Either that's, one. That's a tough one, yeah. Right? So maybe we need to bring a little more consciousness <laughs> yeah. back into those moments. Yeah. But, yeah, exactly. But still, you get the point. Yeah. We no longer have to do it. All of us suck at things to start. Hmm. Anytime we've moved jobs, Anytime, like I ask people this question every time they're brand new at the academy. Hey, what do you do for work? Oh, I'm a, I write code, you know, and in, in tech. Okay. What was the first day like on your job? Or what was the first time, like, how was the code that you wrote your first time? Like the first time you wrote code, how, how did that turn out? Mm -hmm. Oh man, it sucked. And you can hear him like laughing about it. Like, dude, it was awful because they can look back on it now and just be like, man, I'm not there anymore. But when you're there, how frustrating is it? When you're there, how much shit do you talk to yourself? Mm -hmm.
right? How much do you beat yourself up when you're there? And how much do you form an expectation when you're there? Man, let's just, just keep walking. We, you can't eat an elephant all in one bite. Mm -hmm. I love this conversation and obviously we could keep going on and on and on, which uh, this will be the first of, of many parts, I'm sure, going forward. <laughs> I do I do have a, a question I want to ask you um, just in wrapping things up. Switching gears a little bit, going back to uh, more of kind of like a fun question, going back to your archaeology and anthropology work, what would you say is, doesn't have to be the top, but one of your top uh, highlights of that work where you either tangibly discovered something or maybe it was more of a, you know, uh, a conscious or unconscious, you know, discovery within you. What was once one of those things that, like I said, maybe you literally unearthed something that was just like, oh my God, this is from some crazy, you know, time. Or maybe it also connected to something deep within you that you uncovered that you were so excited that you unearthed. Is there anything that you can think back on your work there that was just a fun, like maybe you were in Egypt and you found something cool. I just was, was curious if you've. Fortunately, I've never made it to Egypt, brother. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, have a, I have a couple things. One, I would say the thing that I found within myself is just the connection to the past. Hmm. I've always had a, an obsession of like thinking about how we used to live as humans, mm. you know, like, um, just better understanding different ways to live, just understanding the world is made up of all kinds of variation and the acceptance of that variation and the understanding that like people don't see the same way that we do and taking off our rose colored glasses of the way that we frame things and the way that we do things isn't necessarily the same way that someone has to, and that it's perfectly okay to have that variation on the world. In fact, I am, I want that variation. I don't, I don't want like a monoculture across the world. Like, man, like there's so much beauty and just, I mean, would we want all the same color flowers? Like it's only one flower on the planet. Exactly. No. Would we only want one tree? Like one style of tree grows everywhere. Like, Oh, it just gives me the heebie jeebies even yeah. thinking about. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's one thing that hit me personally. And then, you know, I found, I found several of the oldest artifacts, you know, here in the United States, you know, from the Clovis period. Um, I also, um, so that's how I actually like, so I think it's important for us men to also explore the feminine, mm. right? The, arti the artistic side, you know, like to embrace chaos sometimes within us also, but just understanding like, you know, what is art? What is writing? What is just being creative, you know, like in throwing that side also. So actually archaeology led to kind of my creative outlet. Um, I, I'm a, what's known as a flint ever. I, I make stone tools. Um, so I make knives. Uh, cool. Like this guy. Cool. Nice. Um, nice. So it's obsidian and L candle and things along those lines. So it's just something that like that way I can get my artistic side and still build something new because we have these as men, we want to build things. And I've, I've, I've seen you speak to this. I've heard you speak to this, that we want to have a goal. We want to have a purpose. And 
I think we have to have some variety in that and scale, right? Because there's those things that we have that are long-term projects that like sometimes it just doesn't feel like we're getting anywhere. Mm -hmm. And then to have just those other little things, those little side projects that like, man, I made something today. That's awesome. It took me two hours from start to completion. And like, that was, that was epic. Man, I made something or man, I made this art or I wrote this poem or I did whatever, whatever, you know, that little thing that excites you is. So that way you sustain yourself through some of those longer term goals or longer term projects also. And then again, having some of that variety because our brains, we want it. And then the other, probably the other best thing that I ever did in archeology span was uh, excavate in a cave in Croatia for 19 days. Cool. Um, yeah, that was, that was awesome. Like everything from Roman era, you know, to the Greek era and kept on excavating this unit, you know, like these units down in this cave to iron age to bronze age, you know, and just clay lined hearth, you know, or fire pits where they clay, they line the pipe with clay and, you know, just all of it, man, room structures, just, Crazy. it was, it was awesome. It was fun. Um, and just to be in Croatia, Croatia is amazing. Yeah. Highly, highly recommend. Um, but yeah, just to have those opportunities, to have the opportunities to have conversations with other people about humans and why we do the things we do and what culture is. And, you know, like I said, I, I'm curious. I truly just, I like things that I know that I'm never going to have and there's not going to ever be an end. And I don't want it to end. So therefore I can just take it that one little step at a time. Right. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. not a rush to get there. I'm sure you've heard of everyone in Colorado, Colorado. So where did, where are you from originally, Johnny? St. Louis. St. Louis. Awesome. I have another good friend um, in uh, New Zealand um, that's from St. Louis, but mm. uh, how many times have you heard people here in Colorado ask you about climbing 14ers? Lots. Right? Like, oh man, I went and I climbed Lots. the 14er this weekend. Mm. I feel so, and dude, if this is your thing, I'm going to say, go back to like, if that's one of your passions and you just want to accomplish something in yeah. 10 or 12 hours, amazing. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's something that's funny to me that we, we think about conquering nature in that way. Mm. Like I went up and conquered nature. I was in nature for all of eight hours today, you know, but like coming back to something that like I truly firmly believe in is like, we're not in nature. We're of it. Amen. We're of this world. Right. So like getting out and reconnecting with nature, I think it's important, but like you said, I think we could go on forever. So yeah. I don't want to go on too many more tangents. <laughs> Sorry, just can you hear me? Oh yeah, I got you. Now can you hear me? Yep, I got you. You got me? Yep. All right. I pulled out my uh headphone for some crazy reason. Sorry. Oh, it's all good. Perfect timing. Um, I would say uh I yeah, I mean, I think there's such a fascination to this conversation. I think you and I both um just the curiosity, I think, is a, a very important 
quality for men to imbibe more of. And when they realize that they don't need to get to the end of something, which is very masculine, and that the feminine, the, the falling in love with the feminine of, of just the journey, you know, is, is a big part of this men's work is that the more you work on it, the more you realize you're never going to get to the end of it. There's just new layers and new layers and that there's, there's a, an adventure in that. It's fun. It's exciting. You know, it's a process, man. You know, like, Hey dude, I get to play. I actually get to play. Hey, if I have this kind of conversation with my wife this way, Hmm. Well, that didn't go too well. Yep. Yep. Hey, if I make a shift here, oh, I, hey, dude, I got a new tool today. It's called nonviolent communication. <laughs> hey, babe, when I feel <laughs> right, like, hey, that that conversation went so much better. Yeah. Holy hell, that, that's amazing. Exactly. I I love it. There's there again. There's so many amazing things that we've talked about and that we could continue to talk about. Uh, but we'll save it for the men's meeting. We'll save it for another episode of this. Um, but I so appreciate it for, for those that are maybe here in town or maybe just want to learn more about you. How can they connect with you in general, social media or website? What's the best way to, to reach out if they have I'm on social media? Um, wonder with the U W U N D E R B J J 99 on Instagram. Um, I'm Robert Wunderlich on Facebook. I'm not on Facebook too much, to be honest, man, that realm, just like I made a decision last year or two years ago to just be like, uh, I can't, I can't do it anymore. Okay. Um, I'm uh, our website. So I own, um, with my business partner, Ruben and I, um, we own the Academy of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Arvada. We're located in Arvada, 58th and in independence, basically, um, just North of the Walmart there. Our website is www.arvadajujitsu.com. Um, you can definitely find me there. Uh, you can sign up for a trial class through our website. Come and check us out if you'd like. Um, and the Academy BJJ, right, on Instagram. Um, I also have a, an association called the Shekinin Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Association. Um, and I have a total of five schools, including the Academy of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, who seek rank. And um, I teach people how to teach Jiu-Jitsu through that sphere. Uh, so, yeah, lots of different avenues to reach me. But I, most importantly, I want to say that, like, I'm truly accessible. If you're struggling, if you if you need somebody to talk to, you know what I mean? Like just man to man. I'm not selling you anything. Yeah. I just want to show up as a man, right? And just be able to be of assistance. I'm truly available. And I mean that from like the deepest part of my heart. You know, like that's how mm. I think service is one of the things that we you and I both embrace, right? Being of service to others is something that's such a needed quality in men um, and really everyone, but especially because that's leading us towards something that we're building, right? Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Well, I highly recommend those that are listening and watching to reach out. And I think that's the, that sometimes is the hardest part, you know, uh, like you said, it's like when you, when you become uh, conscious of your incompetence and it's very overwhelming and, and you're, neo and you just got unplugged from the matrix uh it can be very overwhelming like the red pill. yeah you gotta you gotta be willing to reach out to other morpheuses you know guys that, uh, that are just yeah a little bit further down the path even that's it, that's it. 
Dude, and that's the other thing is like so many people who just start the work and are maybe at a level one are yeah. so hesitant to talk to level zeros, but they have something to offer, man. How did you get to a level one? Yeah. You know? Um, but yeah, I, I totally, I totally agree with that. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how many people don't even come in the door for jujitsu. They drive all the way to the parking lot. And I'm, I just want to make this reference because I think it's really important. Go to the parking lot, they pull up and they're like, no, I'm not going to go. And then they make it through the door and it's probably one of the best experiences that they'll have. Yeah, exactly. And it's the same thing, man. Just, just do it. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Just reach out. Which would be, which would be listening to this podcast and then, and feeling a, a, a tug on their heart to reach out to you. Right. And then not doing it. Yep, exactly. That's the, that's exactly the correlation, right? Is that just, just do it. If it pulls on you, do it and you won't regret it. You know, same, I would say the same for you. If somebody's listening and wants to reach out to you, man, I mean, that's the whole thing is like, we're here. We're here. So yeah, here to support in any way we can. Well, thank you again for sharing time with me, sharing, uh, sharing your, your soul and just all the good stuff. I'm, I'm excited for, quote unquote, later tonight uh, for the meeting of men. <laughs> I'm excited for uh, continuing this friendship and and uh, maybe just getting uh, a group of guys to come in and take some classes and that sort of thing. Absolutely. So, yeah. You included. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I appreciate it. Thank you, Robert, so much. Uh, guys, course, highly recommend that you reach out to, to Robert. Follow him on, on Instagram. Uh, check out his website, all the good stuff. And until we chat again on another episode of the Becoming Kings podcast, thanks for listening. We'll catch up with you on the next one. Cheers. Grateful. Thank you. That's it for this one. And I want to thank you for listening. Hey, if you got some good ideas from this episode and you want more, please feel free to subscribe to the podcast. And if you think others may benefit from it also, share it on social media and tag me in your post so I can say, hey, It would also mean a lot to me if you felt inclined to write a review of the show on Apple Podcasts, since I read every single one of them. And if you've got any questions or topics that you'd like to recommend, or really just anything that you think I could improve upon, man, I thrive on constructive feedback. So hit me up with an email at podcast at johnnyking.com. Oh, and feel free to also subscribe to my YouTube channel, connect with me on LinkedIn, Follow me on Instagram at Johnny King and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Johnny King Men's Coach. Thanks again for joining me. I'll catch you next time.